every day is a brand new adventure. So let's embark on this journey together. City News 570 presents Kitchener Today. Here's special guest host, Larry Fedorik. Welcome to Wednesday. Welcome to the noon hour and Kitchener today. I am Larry Fedorik, guest hosting once again. Happy to be here on City News 570. Uh, we'll get you the phone numbers later, get you to participate in the show as well about some topics that we have lined up or maybe something that's on your mind as well, lined up on the show today. Um, and I know that Mike was talking about this earlier, and a lot of people are, this fourth dose, which is, in my mind, it was inevitable because uh, I'm one of those people that believes this is going to be a yearly, maybe twice yearly thing. Hopefully, eventually, just kind of a yearly vaccine that I get along with a flu vaccine or or uh, kind of like a common flu vaccine, at least in, in, in our minds and in our schedules, that we just kind of get a booster every year. The fact that we are still talking sixth wave, um, directly opposed to dropping mask mandates and uh, gosh, just anecdotally, I see a lot of people have just forgotten that there was ever COVID walking around, no masks, even indoor crowded areas. I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of uncomfortable with that, but that's okay. But um, despite this kind of attitude, and I get it because we want this to be over, we want to move on. We do have this this dichotomy, this, this opposing thing where we're looking at uh, a sixth wave and a, a spreadable variant of Omicron and uh, possibly variants after that, and uh, yet we want this to be over, and now we're saying, well, fourth fourth uh, booster. Yet a, a lot of, I think it's nearly half, if I'm um, mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, uh, of Ontarians haven't got a third shot. So there is that. Uh, we're going to be talking to an expert, an epidemiologist from University of Toronto about that. Uh, coming up in about 25 minutes here on the program. Later on, on Kitchener today, we're going to talk about a four-day work week. There are some municipal workers out of Zora Township that are looking at a four-day work week. And part of that uh, that I want to get your thoughts on when we get to that is the greater topic of getting back to the office for those that have that kind of work situation and what that's going to look like, and should it be a four-day work week across the board, or should it be, and I think a lot of people are looking at a hybrid situation where maybe it's three days in the office, and the rest is uh, work from home. I've always kind of worked from home a bit, and I, I'm lucky enough to sort of have that discipline of being in a room that's a work room and then walking, you know, 10 feet to the other room and going, all right, I'm not at work. Uh, but we all, I think, those of us who work from home the last couple of years really felt this kind of thing where it's it's work all the time. And that's not just because of working from home. That is because of our connectivity. We're connected. Uh, the phone's always there. Uh, the laptop, desktop is just always there. We can always be reached. And uh, work is just a different uh, different thing. It's it's if you go, especially in an office kind of situation, it's not a nine to five, five days a week, forty hour work week. It's uh, so maybe we look at that. We are going to look at that as far as um, the township and their four day work week. Uh, also, want to talk about the masters later. That begins uh, tomorrow. For those those of you who have a relationship with golf. So that is coming up on Kitchener today. Now, uh, producer Polly is here. Hey, Polly, how are you doing today? I'm good, Larry. How are you doing? I'm good. How, how's your week? You having a good week? 
Yeah, not too bad. It's been busy, but uh, I'm still here. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Also, our executive producer, Brittany Bordelon. Hello, Brittany. Whoop, whoop. Hello, Larry. Hey, hey. Sorry, I'm getting the party calm, going. Calm down, Brittany. It's too much excitement for one day. <laughs> Uh, uh, Brittany, I am going to apologize to you. Uh, I want to make this a public apology off the top of the show today. Uh-oh. Because in preparing a program, uh, Brittany and I go back and forth, emails, texts, phone calls, whatever we do during the course of the hours. Mm -hmm. Pigeon courier. I, I, know it, I know it sounds like this magic happens just off the top of our heads, of course. Uh, but it, there's a lot of preparation that goes in. So, Brittany, I've spent the morning communicating with you, mm -hmm. thinking it was April 5th. Oh, well, I'm sorry, and Larry. It is not. <laughs> no, and I, and I want to, this just in, it's April the 6th. <laughs> Breaking so, news. It uh, is why April 6th. Is this 6th. warranted for an apology, though? Well, because I, I think, especially at the end there, when we were talking about a couple of stories we were looking at, it kind of there was a confusion on my part, and I looked like an idiot. So I just wanted to apologize because I thought it was April the fifth this entire day. <laughs> well, I and hope you didn't have any important appointments that you were supposed to do on the sixth that you forgot about. <laughs> well, here's the thing: I knew uh -oh. that I was filling in today on Wednesday, and I knew it was Wednesday because I'm not totally un unconnected here, but I. But I thought it was April the 5th. I don't know why. I just thought it was. Well, you know what? You're one day closer to the weekend. So that's exciting. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I don't know how I knew it was Wednesday, but not April the 6th. It was the 5th. Oh, well, then there. I mean, I, I'm i not a fan of the calendar. I'll tell you this right now. Because <laughs> if, you, if you think about it, the, like mankind did not invent time but we invented the way we keep track of it okay interesting and theory as, mm -hmm. well okay so and and who says that it's working for us i mean okay i need some sort of daily reminder what is today's date and and day uh and i have that it's called my phone but i'm talking about some sort of dot matrix neon sign in my office that when i walk in every day it just you know, it just runs the day and date across the thing all day long because it, during during isolation and COVID, I've actually had to Google today's date, please. I don't know if you've ever done that. Just me? Okay. Not on Google. I mean, I look at my phone all the time to see what date it is. I've mm -hmm. never Googled it. Mm -hmm. I guess I could have looked at my phone, but it was it was, I don't know, somewhere. And I was like, I'm just going to Google today's date <laughs> just to see if they understand what I'm talking about. And they did. Uh, so I guess I got to keep doing that. Cause I, I thought like, I just missed a date somewhere. And it's like April the 5th. Yeah, that sounds right. It sounds about right. April the 5th. That's good. You know? So that, so the, but if you think about this, the calendar we're, we're rolling along and there's been a lot of different calendars. And to this date, uh, there are still six or seven, at least calendars in the world that different people use. The one we all agree on worldwide so that most of us can say it's Wednesday, April the 6th, is the Gregorian calendar. So we're rolling along on this calendar for I don't know how many centuries. And it's doing well until Julius and Augustus Caesar. Now, don't go, I'm not precise on the history, but basically Julius and Augustus Caesar said, no, we have to have a month. We talked to the Pope. 
uh, you know, we're working this out and we want to have a month. So they, so because of them, we have July and August. So September, which sept is the prefix for seven, is our ninth month. October's 10, Nova's nine, December, Deca, De- Dest is 10, but it's not. They are nine, 10, 11, and 12 because of Julius and Augustus Caesar who wanted to stick themselves into the middle of summer. So my point is, if I do have one, and I don't think I do, <laughs> is that the calendar doesn't work. Right away, the calendar is wrong. And why does, why does um, like, if, if we hate January, why does it have 31 days? It doesn't have to have 31 days. It could have 28. We could have, we could have um, Saturday could be 28 hours long. Yeah, and then just now Sunday you're talking shorter. my language. <laughs> and, and then make Sunday 28 hours and then make Monday like 16 hours long because we hate Mondays. You know what I'm saying? I hear you. All Nobody right, wants- I think we need to band together and make this happen. Nobody wants to try anything. That's all I'm getting at. <laughs> if we just tried it, if we just... Every year there used to be this joke on April 1st about metric time. Like uh, a ten-hour day with a ten-hour work week with a ten or a ten-day work week or a ten-day week rather, and a ten-month year. And I was like, you could try it. You could try metric time. I don't know. Well, until we uh, maybe maybe today is the start of the movement. If we if we get some followers on this, maybe we can start. Yeah. All right. We'll meet at City Hall at six p.m. and we'll start the movement. I can bring placards and juice boxes. <laughs> oh, perfect. Nice. So, I'll bring the sandwiches. Sandwiches and a balloon, some balloons. Yeah. And uh, Brittany, you have to bring a I'll bring a, a megaphone. megaphone. Yep, megaphone. Yep, got it. Some got protest it. signs. Believe it or those. not, I do have a megaphone. <laughs> That's <laughs> not on, even Brittany, a joke. You really? I do. Get out of here. Brittany, I have a megaphone. Oh, do you? Uh-huh. Yeah. How did you get your megaphone? Um, my parents bought it a while back because they ha- they boat on Georgian Bay and they have some crazy parties and they bought a megaphone. They thought it was a good idea. And I always actually grab it and sing songs through the megaphone. It's great. Um, and I actually threatened my husband that I was going to bring it to our wedding and I was going to use it and wrap some Lizzo and Cardi B. And he said, absolutely not. <laughs> Okay, does your does your megaphone have a button that has a siren? Yes, on it? it does. Yeah. Now mine too. Oh, that's awesome. We can have megaphone parties. I it's, feel it's, left I, out. I, I might don't have, have a to, megaphone. Hang on. Hang on oh my gosh, he's going to get it. Oh, oh, oh no. my gosh, this is I'm fun. I'm going oh, to get it. Oh. He's it's getting right. it. I don't want Yeah, there it is. <laughs> I don't want it to scare people on the show, but I do have one. Oh, my gosh. And, oh, um, I wish I had my Zoom camera on right now. Oops. I just hit the wrong button here. Hopefully I didn't break it. Testing one, two. Testing, testing. I got the I got the volume way down. Testing, <laughs> testing. Because I don't want it to frighten people. But, yeah, so I was, I was um, uh, walking by uh, a hardware store one day, and they had a little table out front. With Giant a bunch of sale megaphone items. sale, fifty percent <laughs> off. No, they had a megaphone, and I, and it was like four ninety nine. Okay, hold what? on, I'm gonna shut this thing off. This like four dollars and ninety nine cents. Yeah, 
Okay. I shut it off there just in case it squeals. But it, the uh, megaphone was like stupid low price. And I was like, I'm buying one. I'm, I'm buying a megaphone. <laughs> Larry, have you ever used this megaphone other than okay, this so moment? I, my, my thought was I would become um, angry old guy neighbor. In a, I'm a, I live in a building. Okay, so get off this is going to be. Yeah, I, well, I, I thought this is going to be good, and I've always I chickened out except once. Once there was this really, some guy in an apartment building, was uh, using a buzz saw like somewhere in the building, like at five in the afternoon, and I, I couldn't take the noise after a while, so I got out my little megaphone and I went out on the balcony. <laughs> and I hit the siren button, and it sounds like a police siren. Whoop, whoop. And then I screamed at him, and it stopped immediately. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> and I I was the one that felt bad because I'm like, I have become that guy. I'm, I'm a guy with a megaphone standing on his balcony going, keep it down out there. You know, like, it, it's... <laughs> Like, how bad is that? <laughs> I totally expected a knock on the door. It's like with an eviction notice. You know, you with the megaphone, get out of our building. You have 10 days to evict the apartment. <laughs> I repeat. <laughs> oh my and then God. I thought about just taking it outside, you know, for, uh, uh, excuse me, your dog is not on a leash. <laughs> you <laughs> should. Oh, my gosh. You should, Larry. Do that. Please. Please do that. The world and needs you to local. do it. Local megaphone crazy guy. You know what? <laughs> Excuse me, your mask is not on. Your mask is not on. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That and would be amazing. Here, and it's got, it's got the fresh batteries in it, and it's got the siren. <laughs> Always and, and ready. I'm, I'm, I'm holding it up on the Zoom for the guys. Of course, radio, you can't see it. But it's it's handy. It's only about a foot long, It's and it's loud, and it's... You know, maybe now that I found out another person has a megaphone, Brittany, way to go. We can start our own little club. <laughs> way, to, way to validate my weird habits, Brittany. Thank you. Anything you just, for you. <laughs> you just validated my entire existence with the megaphone. Yeah. So how do we get on megaphone? I don't even know, but it doesn't, well. How do you? Um, I, I want a megaphone now. I feel left out. You better look online, Polly. I think I will. Could Gigi? Here I come. <laughs> yeah, could Gigi? I mean, it's got to be one uh, on marketplace. The, yeah, marketplace, Amazon. I don't know what the resale market is on megaphones, but <laughs> slightly used, <laughs> like new. <laughs> yeah. Still comes with some fresh spit from people yelling through it. <laughs> And mine has a little handy strap, so I can put it across my shoulder. You know, you can show. Oh my uh, gosh! It it's your got shoulders. a strap. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Larry's megaphone is better than your <laughs> megaphone. <laughs> wow, Bolly. I've I've got a megaphone. Don't make me use it. <laughs> There's just the threat alone. I'm sure would frighten most people. This show is off the rails. <laughs> Do you have a sign uh, well, on your no, front I, door? Beware of megaphone. I'll tell you right now, when it goes off the rails is when I do the entire show on the megaphone. And I, I promise I'm not going to do that, but I'm just saying that I could, that I could if I, if I wanted to. Well, uh, sans megaphone. 
I will be right back with more of Kitchener Today on City News 570. I'm your guest host, Larry Fedorik. That is correct. Nobody can resist a good conversation or perhaps a conversation about megaphones, which we just had. Uh, Producer Brittany owns one. I happen to own one. We didn't know that before the show. We just found (laughs) that out about each other. I think it's terrific. Mm-hmm. And um, it might inspire me to start using mine out on the street again. I'm taking it to the streets, man. And um, taking it to the street. That's right. I'm going to clean up this town with my uh, with my voice. I'm going to tell people how this should work. Hey, you, you, line up for the buses here, here. You know, so on and so forth. Whatever. Just become the regulator uh, with megaphone. We shall see. Uh, city of Kitchener, by the way, is going to talk to us. Uh, I say the city, the entire city. I hope you are. Uh, but representative from the city uh, will talk to us uh, just after one o'clock about the city uh, dropping requirements for documents for migrants who don't have any and have or need access to city services. And uh, documentation, a lot of people knew, do not have that and therefore don't get the services they might require so we'll talk about that uh coming up in a few minutes time on this program we're going to talk about the fourth dose with an epidemiologist from the university of toronto uh the fourth dose wide open uh, including kitchener of course as of tomorrow uh we'll get some particulars on that and the need for it and so on and so forth i had i, I think this is a covid related experience well before we get to that because if i if i get on that story I will not get to Mary, and I want to talk to Mary. Hey, Mary. Hi, hi. How are you? Well, that, Good, how are you? that was quite an interesting conversation, and I think I gives me an idea that what I can get my husband for his birthday. Mine, there you he, go. He, he has a good, pretty good yap on him, and people go by, <laughs> and he's sitting up in the front porch, and the dog poos, and they <laughs> think nobody's looking. He says, "Pick up that poop right now." Oh, I'm telling you, Mary. if he gets a mega, like dog owners are number one on my list uh, of people I would yell at because uh, dogs are great. Dog owners are not, not mm-hmm. all dog owners, all mm-hmm. dog owners. If you ever see a problem dog, it's a problem dog owner. Okay. And they would be huge on my list right away off, off the top of, of uh, who to yell at through a megaphone about their habits and i you know i don't i don't know i guess if you if you're if you're out going about your day running your errands doing your thing you don't want to be yelled at by somebody with a megaphone necessarily but on the other hand maybe uh, maybe it's time maybe maybe it's deserved well you know i i think i'd be a very fair adjudicator i think i would <laughs> i i think i'd be a good cop you know unofficially um no tasers no guns no batons just a megaphone and uh keep people in line you know maybe it's maybe it's time because the other the other systems aren't working no guns just megaphones just megaphones just the human voice and i'll tell you that it's it's uh and i'm big on social contracts and people are breaking the clauses of social contracts that we have abided by and agreed to for many decades. So it's time for 
I need a superhero name. We'll come up with that later. Mr. Me- like not Mr. Megaphone because that's too. I'll need some kind of megaphone man super name as well. Superhero name. Oh, all right. Uh, we'll get to uh, something only only slightly more serious, and that is the uh, fourth dose. We're going to talk with an epidemiologist from the University of Toronto when we get back with more of Kitchener Today. Still to come on today's program, we'll talk to the Director of Equality at the City of Kitchener about this story we just uh, heard over the last day or so. Uh, the city not requiring documents from people who don't have them, new to Canada, immigrants, what have you, uh, not requiring certain documents that others may have to show in order to access city services uh, just to uh, help people in time of need. Uh, we'll get to exactly how that works in uh, the next half hour or so. And we're also going to talk later on on this program about a four-day work week. How does that sound? Um, the other way to phrase that is three day weekend. So, uh, that may sound pretty good. And I, you know, I mean, I, uh, we'll get into it later, but it, the whole idea of this, uh, eight hour day, a five day work week, a 40 hour work week there, it's so old, isn't it? So ancient. I mean, I think a lot of people would say, Hey, I'd, I'd, if, if you want me to work 40 hours, I'd work 10 days or 10 hours a day, four days a week done. You know, uh, I, I think if anything, COVID has made us evaluate or reevaluate the work week and how it works. And certainly technology has done that even before COVID and um, new, new industries, I think in general, you know, uh, people work Sundays, they work Saturdays, they work, uh, you know, Tuesday, Wednesdays, your day off or whatever. I mean, it's just, is nine to five even real? Okay. So now I'm getting into that whole topic that we're going to get into later. Sorry about that. Well, we'll get into that uh, a little bit later on in the program. Now, uh, you've heard today extensively that fourth doses for COVID are now available, uh, as of tomorrow, uh, in Kitchener and throughout Ontario. Uh, this, I felt, was just inevitable, just a matter of time of uh, when I got my third dose, and it was only in the first week of January that I got my third one, just because of scheduling. Uh, I was just like, okay, I'm, I'm just waiting for the day they announced the fourth one because I think it's coming. Our guest is an epidemiologist at the University of Toronto and joins us now to talk about this, Colin Furness. Hello, Colin. Good afternoon. Uh, am I correct there? Was this an inevitability? Uh, I, I mean, I'm one of those people that believes it's this this vaccine is going to be a yearly thing for the rest of my life, likely. What do you think about that? There's a few different scenarios, and one of them really depends, or actually most of them really depend on what vaccine innovation we might see in front of us. I know there's an Omicron-specific version that is being developed and tested, and if Omicron is kind of where COVID has run its course, then maybe one more shot of that, maybe boosters of that, that's possible. Even more significantly is development work going on right now for what's called a pan-corona vaccine. That is, that would take care of the common cold strains, which would be nice, uh, but it would also take care of any kind of variant uh, because it would be targeting the virus at its sort of fundamental characteristic of being a coronavirus. That would be fantastic. And then, of course, there might be all kinds of different immunity characteristics there, and we'll we'll have to find out. If none of that happens, 
and we are stuck with the vaccine we have right now, then frequent boosters would be it. So that's a that's a scenario. But I think there's room for optimism that we do better than that. It's just it's all speculation, but I'm, I'm hopeful. All right. I, I mean, I am, too. I am, too. But I just want to ask you about something you just said about this pan-corona uh, vaccine, rather. I was going to say pan-corona uh, vaccine. I'm a little behind on this. Are you saying there's a there's a cure for the common cold out there that's that's close? Well, there's the common cold is really many different viruses. So I, I don't want to get I don't right, want right. to raise people's expectations too high. But four of those, and you know, I think this is kind of outside my field, but I think there's a couple hundred different uh, viruses that can give you a common cold. There's a large number of variants anyway, um, and and so this would take care of some of those uh, if it is proven effective, right? So that's, that's, that's still, yes, it's, but it's under development. And I, you know, I think there's good, good reason to be optimistic. If you look at measles, you know, the measles shot is unchanged. The measles virus, when it circulates, mutates faster than coronavirus, but we don't have to have measles boosters all the time. And that's because the measles vaccine is able to target the measles virus in a fundamental way, in a way that the measles cannot mutate around without stopping working. So that's a very, very powerful, effective vaccine if we can develop something like that for uh, for coronavirus, and that's what a pan-coronavirus vaccine really amounts to, yeah, that would be a game changer. Uh, it would, and and honestly, it's it's I, I hear of it being worked on. I don't think it's being trialed yet, so this could be somewhat distant. It could be a year or two or more. It used to take decades to develop vaccines. We've reduced that astonishingly. I mean, heroically, but that doesn't mean that. Other newer vaccines, like the one I'm talking about now, might not take a long time. So I think, unfortunately, we're going to need we're going to need some patience to see that. Now I, I agree; it, it has been heroic and astonishing. Um, and I am a positive guy on this, but I'm going to ask you: as smart as we are, is the virus smarter? It's really adaptive. This is a very successful virus, and I think if we want to look at the downside, it's incredibly adept at moving between species and affecting multiple parts of the body. That makes it that makes it an ugly customer. Many viruses are specific to one species and also specific to one part of the body uh, or, or only a small number of uh, parts of the body. This one is very adaptive. It's got it's got master keys essentially to our biology and that of well a lot of other animals and so its ability to go into an animal population and then mutate and then come back and visit us later that's that's sort of the nightmare stuff that i that i hope doesn't happen and that's why again why i really really like the idea of a pancoronis vaccine because it would just it would just make that much less likely this is i mean smart isn't quite the right word for it because it doesn't have agency but in terms of its adaptability or success yeah it's pretty nimble it's pretty nimble but and again, it's speculation. Uh, the Omicron variant is now more prevalent than any other variant. We have more COVID globally than we have had in any other variant. Every person who gets sick is a petri dish for mutation, right? So we have the highest probability right now of spawning a new variant. And apart from uh, a hybrid uh, Omicron that's showed up in the UK that might be concerning, we haven't actually seen any new variants in, in a few months. That's good news. I mean, that's right. or prospectively good news. That suggests that maybe Omicron is successful enough that there isn't another easily producible variant that would outpace it. So we now may have the foe that we're going to deal with, and that would be great. I mean, that would be that would be fantastic. In, in a sense, it may succeed itself into a corner where, given a stable 
variant, we were able to catch up with vaccination. How much of the success of Omicron and, and how adaptive it is, is, is how much of these numbers are, are, are the factors contributing are also us being done with COVID and dropping mask mandates and so on and so forth and us tr- being a little more relaxed about something that's still out there. I'm told that the last wave of the 1918 flu, and I'm not a historian, but I'm told that the last wave was actually the, the worst and that it was predicated part on people becoming exhausted. I mean, exhausted after World War One, but also exhausted of wearing masks, which they were back then, and exhausted of just trying to dodge this. And they got, they got tired and they let their guard down. That seems to me what we're doing. Uh, on top of that, COVID seems to be framed everywhere among decision makers as a political problem. Where are we in the election cycle seems to determine policy just as much as anything else. I haven't seen any real strong examples of public health experts disagreeing publicly with the government. That's a problem because all governments make mistakes. And if public health is never disagreeing with them, that means those mistakes aren't being called out. And so I think we've been making, and it's not just Ontario, I think this has been happening in so many places, we've been making some really bad decisions predicated on prioritizing the wrong things with the wrong disease transmission model, and of course outcomes are going to be poor. So that's another problem is people are looking around saying, well, government has tried all these things, and we have suffered, and we still haven't gotten rid of this thing. I would step back and say we've made bad decisions based on a bad process with the wrong people uh, at the helm, and we've all suffered for that. And that's a really bad reason to then drop drop our guard. What we should be trying to do is figure out what we know and how we can apply that to getting out of this. In other words, let's try and be smarter rather than be tired. But <laughs> that's a tough call for a lot of people at this stage two yeah. years in. It sure is. It sure is. I, I sense, though, that you're making the case for a fourth dose if you're eligible, that this is something people should be doing. The use, there, is a, there is a school of thought that's, that urges caution that says your body would be better off with a booster that is reformulated for Omicron than a booster that was actually very much designed for a, a, a past variant, right? The original or the, the original form of, of coronavirus. That's a school of thought. Um, I think a majority of people who know a lot more about immunology than me are saying, yes, you should get the fourth dose if you're, if you're eligible. But there is, it is a little bit contentious in terms of what is better for your immune system in the longer run. And it, that's, a, that's a really, really complicated topic. I accept that uh, if I had the opportunity to get a fourth booster, knowing what I do about what coronavirus does to your body, I would get it. I would get it. But there is, again, that conversation, and I'll, I'll just feel a lot more comfortable on this topic when we're talking about an Omicron-specific booster rather than, uh, rather than a booster of the same thing we've been using for more than a year. Right, right, which, they, which is being worked on, as you said. Now, this uh, fourth shot is, uh, first of all, the, they're looking at people who, have had, or who are over 60. Uh, that is still a factor, right? Age? Age is a big deal, and your, your body does, does everything last well when you age, simply put. You can be a, a fit person, but you're still, your hair is still going to turn gray and fall out, and your eyesight gets worse, and everything sags, and, and so does your immune system. So, yes, uh, there's, there's no question. Also, by the older you get, the more health problems you accrue, right? So if you're looking for, if you're looking for, for all those kinds of extra risk factors, you tend to find them more in people who are older. So age is a proxy for deteriorating health. So those are, those are always going to be significant issues. And 
right now, with Omicron and the vaccine we have, immunity wanes pretty quickly. And, and so getting that booster will give you actually really good protection for a short period of time, unfortunately, um, and not, not, not nearly as long as we'd wish. But given that we're in a pretty intense wave right now, that does have some appeal. If I could boost my immunity right now, I'd, I'd feel safer. And Omicron is reportedly not causing as many hospitalizations, and that's the one thing they always said about the vaccine, too, is is that uh, if you do happen to catch it, you won't be as sick as you might have been if you didn't get a vaccine. Is that still the case, or does that apply to the booster shot as well? Well, so Omicron does produce less severe outcomes. It puts way more children in hospital. But when the children are in hospital, their outcomes tend to be better. And, and, and that's, that's actually, I mean, I, it, it sickens me that we're putting kids in hospital, that we can't do a better job. But at least we could say the outcomes are, are less severe. We can, we can credit vaccination. We can credit better treatment regimens. We know how to treat COVID now. We didn't in 2020. So mortality is going to drop just just because of that. We also have more global immunity, population immunity. In other words, our, our, the, globally, we have more COVID antibodies summed across all of us. And that, that actually helps a lot, too. And the fourth one is physiologically, Omicron's ability to invade our cells in a certain kind of way is impaired. So it, it used to have two really big tools in its toolkit. It's only really using one of them now. And the one that it's not able to use so easily turns out to be very helpful in preventing severe disease. So all those things added together tell us that Omicron in a lot of ways could be considered less severe. However, if you're not vaccinated, you should be afraid of Omicron. If you are immune compromised, you should be afraid of Omicron. It, it can still get, make you very sick. It can still kill you. And, of course, the, the thing we haven't talked about is, is long COVID. You may have no more than a case of the sniffles in the respiratory phase, but you may end up with vascular damage and neurological damage that is actually quite serious. So that's wow. something that it's, it's been on the back of the conversation, and we really need to start, we need to start privileging that conversation because I don't know that Omicron produces less severe long COVID. I'd like to think it did. I wish it did, but we don't, we're not seeing that yet. Okay. Boy, as you said earlier, it's got the master keys, this virus, uh, for sure. One more thing quickly, uh, the gap for a fourth dose, someone said five months, whatever. What's that about? And I understand that I just can't get a vaccine every week because that's just not right. I, I sense the answer here, but why the gap between doses? Part of it is going to be looking at trying to get the biggest bang for your buck in terms of in terms of looking at what is the decay rate, what is your immunity decay rate, and so at what point should we space it so that your immunity doesn't drop down too low, but that booster then provides immunity for even longer. So that's really like trying to you know minimize the number of times you change oil in your car to be not too often so that you're not you're 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 being efficient. The other thing has to do with vaccine supply and that you want to be very careful that you're not making promises to the public about who can get a until you know that you've got supply in hand so that you know that would that would come into play as well and in fact we stumbled on the fact that uh, the observation that a longer interval is better we stumbled on that because of a vaccine shortage early on right we tested it with a shorter interval and that was effective and we discovered simply because of vaccine shortages that people with a longer interval ended up doing better and so there might be some data there saying fourth dose immunity is even better after waiting. I'm not sure. Um, And of course, Omicron is so new that anything we know about COVID
COVID and vaccination, we need to take with a grain of salt until we've had a number of months, a number more months of Omicron to really see. Well, Colin, I have learned a lot. Thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Colin Furness, epidemiologist at the University of Toronto. And what a common sense guy sense that as well, right? He's just kind of Here's how things work. Very interesting. And uh, he said he was not a historian, neither am I. Although, and especially at the outset of COVID, I did look back at some history of the Spanish flu uh, approximately 100 years ago. And it was interesting that Colin mentioned that the uh, the big pandemic of 1918, 1917-18, involved uh, the last wave being the worst because people were fatigued with A, the pandemic itself, and B, the war, which was World War I at the time. And here we are, 100 years later, repeating history, sitting here fatigued with a pandemic, making a lot of the same mistakes. Uh, and you could, when you read some of the history of the Spanish flu 100 years ago, you, you can see a lot of the things of government reactions, um, governments disagreeing, even within a region and a federal and a provincial and a, and a civic government not quite seeing. You can see where particular cities who shut down did better than others who didn't. You can see the way the, the press treated some of the coverage. You can see it repeating a hundred years later. Uh, wow. And, and, and we're fatigued. I, I don't know that we're fatigued by this war, but we are certainly frightened by it and wish it would go away. And it's part of our, I think part of our fatigue of world news is also the war of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So here we have um, this hundred year cycle almost going once again. We'll talk a little bit more about this when we get back with more of Kitchener today here on City News 570. Welcome back to the program. I am Larry Fedora, guest hosting today uh, on uh, City News 570. Colin Furness was just our guest. He's from University of Toronto epidemiologist. We're talking about the fourth shot that's now available across Ontario. Uh, I think Colin was right too about the politics versus the medicine. And uh, politics is the world. I get it. Politics is um, is is the relationship between people. And it's going to happen. And, and that's not the political system. The political system that we have and other countries have is different than politics itself in its true meaning. But but politics is how we, we do get along or talk to each other and, and get things done or not done. And certainly there's, I, I, I think, a bit of a conflict there, politics versus uh, uh, medicine and, uh, and election cycles and all of that playing in as we try and get through the pandemic. Jason is on the show. Hey, Jason, welcome. What's up? Like, I was kind of surprised last year when we started uh, giving first shots coming into the spring and that. In 2020, we seen with zero doses, it went down to almost nothing for the summer. Because it is like a colder flu where it kind of rears up in the, the fall months. So I don't know why they're not waiting. And then they got an Omicron variant that's coming, a variant of the vaccine that they're coming up with. So uh, it would just make more sense to wait till fall instead of just keep uh, injecting people. Because I've heard that it can... Uh, 
might possibly mess with your immunity. And everybody I know that's got COVID's had three shots. Uh, Jason, thanks for the call. I appreciate that. Um, uh, hold on a second. I'm just trying to read through. Everybody I know that had COVID had three shots. Well, uh, uh, okay. Uh, anecdote is not data, but um, fine. <laughs> I find that a little difficult to believe, frankly, but okay. Uh, that, uh, a good point, though, waiting. I mean, I don't know that you wait uh, it's not like uh, an Omicron and our guest, an epidemiologist at the University of Toronto, i.e. expert medical person, um, told us that this Omicron variant vaccine specific uh, to Omicron is being worked on. We don't know how far it is away. And it's not, uh, if we knew it's already being tested and it's, it's then yeah, then maybe you would wait then. If you knew this was, you know, mere days or weeks away, you'd say, well, let's wait for that one and then do that. Uh, I mean, I'm three times vaxxed. I'm one of the lucky ones. I did not, first of all, I got three times vaxxed. I consider that very fortunate. I also didn't have any um, negative vaccine symptoms, minor on the third shot um so i i mean i'm I, i'd be one that would have to wait another few weeks before i could get a fourth shot but i think you make it available i think you make it available if science and medicine says yeah fourth shot can do this i i don't see how it's going to harm your immunity I, I i find i i don't like that bit of dialogue that keeps coming up all the time when people talk about it because i don't think it's based in any fact other than some people have a better natural immunity if you could afford to and i'm i'm so non-medical so pardon me if this sounds a little out there but if, if you could somehow build your own immunity against anything uh over time then I guess you could do it unless that thing was going to kill you first. And then you'd go, what's the medicine? Cause I don't want to die. Did that just, did it make sense? Cause that's kind of what I was trying to say. Um, if you are going to, and vaccines are among the safest things you can put into your body, that is scientific evidence. And um, if, if it can help boost your immunity, maybe not in general terms, but against this particular problem we have called COVID then yeah, it's going to affect your immunity in that sense. And, and, but why wouldn't you do it? Well, see, now we're going back to day one about vaccine. Yes or no. Well, uh, thank you again to Colin Furness. Great discussion. We'll talk to city of Kitchener and the director of equality about uh, a, a new initiative. They have not requiring documents for certain new Canadians who need services, but don't have the documentation and four day work week, those topics next hour. Welcome back to the program, Wednesday, April 6th. We've confirmed that date. I mentioned at the program at noon uh, that I went through the entire morning thinking it was April the 5th. I'm telling you, I've been uh, two years of this, of uh, <laughs> trying to trying to keep up with the date. It's right there on my phone. I know I have no excuses. I have no excuses uh, other than uh, the ones I make up for myself, which is, uh, you know, work from home, self-isolation, different schedules, different routines. Uh, what day is it? Okay. I know it was Wednesday. I thought it was the 5th of April. So, uh, 
the fact that I had to fill in on the show today clarify. I'm, I could have gone on all week like this, but we, we verified that today is April 6th. So I passed that bit of very helpful information on to you that it is April the 6th. Yay. You know that. Uh, speaking of working, we're going to talk about the uh, four-day work week, uh, a program put together partly through uh, initiatives with um, York University uh, for uh, Zora Township, where municipal workers there are having not only municipal workers, but municipal workers, both. Yeah, uh, they, they're going to get into a four-day work week. So we'll talk about that concept of four-day work weeks. And just generally speaking, I want to talk then in the next half hour about um, the hybrid situation of the new workforce, working from home, all that kind of thing. So that's something we'll talk about. Oh, you know what? And I wanted to mention earlier, and we didn't get a chance to mention, that on on the show, and this will be after 2 o'clock, we're going to speak to the uh, Grand River Film Festival programming chief. They just announced their lineup for their film festival this year. And speaking of dates and having dates in your head, the film festival starts May 9th. Uh, and I was like, oh, well, way May 9th. And then it's like, well, that'll be here before we know it. So we'll get you up to speed on the Grand River Film Festival later on in the program. Right now on the show, something very interesting going on. City of Kitchener uh, Council and Committees saying what we're going to do for people who are new to the area, new to this country perhaps, who don't have the necessary documents to access city services, we're, we're going to waive that in a manner of speaking and uh, make sure these people get access to city services they need. Well, actually, the way it works, let, let's get the details. Our guest is Interim Director of Equality for the City of Kitchener, Ellen Moorlag. Silk is joining us. Hello, Ellen. Hello. Thank you for joining us today. Tell me, how is this going to work? What exactly is the policy on presenting documents to access city services, this this new policy that you're looking at? Yeah, so this is something that came out of one of our advisory committees to council. So it's called the the Safe and Healthy Advisory Committee. And it's one of the advisory committees of council that comment and give advice on a wide range of topics that affect the health and safety of the Kitchener community. And so at the beginning of each term for this committee, the new membership develops a work plan and they decide what it is that they want to do. And this was something that came from this committee. And it was a passion that they brought in pursuing the necessary work and engagement to bring forward recommendations for council's consideration. And it's about the development of what's being called an access without fear policy. And so what this means is that um, when anyone is in need of accessing any city services for the city of Kitchener, that they would not have to worry about um, providing any documentation about um, their status or about being um, reported to authorities in any way. Mm. Uh, But at the same time, do you need any assurance that this is a person that uh, is eligible for the services or is, in the region or what have you, you know what I'm getting at? 
Yeah, that's no, that's a good question. And it's um, it's actually, for the most part, I'm not a, a complete expert on all of the services that we offer at the city. But aside from, you know, things like running the election, which is, um, you know, mandated as, uh, you know, in, in, in a different category, um, I don't, most of the services that are offered at, through the city of Kitchener, like community centers, um, any of the customer service that we offer at City Hall, we don't ask for um, citizenship documentation, but that doesn't mean that people still aren't in fear of accessing services. So it's not necessarily about changing our practices. It's really about standing in solidarity and ensuring that people who are accessing the services don't have a fear that that will happen. And, and again, that line you used, which I saw in the story, access without fear. I think that's a, a that's a great statement. That's a great kind of title for it. Access mm-hmm. without fear. It's so important. Yeah, because there is some, you know, the, in terms of the the non-status migrants that are in Canada, the majority of them are um, all came to Canada through. Um, legal means. So they came to Canada through some kind of status and um, through one way or the other may have lost status. They may be, you know, sort of in the process of regaining status. There's a lot of paperwork that has to happen and sometimes it can take years. And so um, we just want to ensure that people who are in that process um, don't isolate themselves from any of the necessary services that they might need, because this is something that happens. A person's situation can become perilous when they lose status because they are subject to detention and deportation. Um, They become socially isolated. They may face poverty, exploitation, and so on, and then are unable to safely access essential social services. So we just want to, um, you know, really part of what the policy is, is we're going to be developing the policy, but also developing a um, a campaign around awareness, and so that's a really important piece of it as well, so that people know that this is you know that this is a case we have an access without fear policy, and that anyone can access our services without any fear of being reported, of being deported, or of even having being asked for documentation in any way. Right, right, and and you work for the city of Kitchener, but you did hit the nail on the head there when you said paperwork and and. Uh bureaucracy, things like this can take a long time. At any level of government, it, it seems to be that way. Um, yeah, and be that as it may, you're not trying to solve that. You're just trying to say, in the meantime, here's here's your access without fear, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly it. And so, yeah, as I said, part of what we're doing in, as the next step, in, in addition to the policy, will be to make sure that, you know, that that message gets out loud and clear to people who need it. All right. So, the, you know, the, uh, you can almost hear the backlash saying, well, then why do I need documents if they don't need documents? I mean, I know that's not the spirit of what this is all about, believe me. Mm-hmm. But do you expect any of that? Um, you know, as I mentioned, it, it, it's not typical for people when accessing um, services at the city for them to provide any kind of citizenship documents. So it's not something that yeah, we generally true. ask for. Um, but again, we're all, we also are looking at this from an equity perspective. And from an equity perspective, which is one of the commitments of the city of Kitchener, we do want to prioritize the safety of people who may be, you know, experiencing things that are far different than the rest of the population. And that's part of our equity approach as well. 
Right. I think I think that's great. I, I first heard of this thing, this kind of thing, rather, when um, vaccines were being made available to people who weren't necessarily in the system. They didn't necessarily have the documentation. I mean, I don't know if that's a fair parallel, but it kind of reminded me of that. It's like, well, let's not ask. Let's just be concerned with the safety, first of all. Yeah, that's another example of using an equity approach when it comes to public health or um, larger public campaigns. It's really about prioritizing those who maybe need the vaccines the most, um, who are most at risk of not receiving vaccines because of whatever reasons. And um, we have seen a really dedicated equity approach um, being taken with vaccine rollouts as well. And so this is a similar, I mean, it's not exactly the same, but it is a similar approach in terms of making sure that we're um, that we're prioritizing those populations. Was this spurred on or inspired in any way by an influx of Ukrainian uh, migrants coming to Canada because of the situation at all? Or was this something you were looking at for a while? Yeah, no, this is something that's been in the works for, I think, at least the past year for this committee. So it has nothing to do with that at the moment. Right. Right. Well, I, I think it's great. And I, I was going to ask you, it's like, well, what do people have to do to access this? But I mean, I just realized my question. The whole idea of this is you don't have to do anything. Now you can just show up and access some of these services. Uh, correct. And hopefully people, hopefully that'll help get the word out. Because if I go and I have a positive experience and I'm, I have access without fear, then I'm going to, I'm going to tell others in a similar situation, hopefully. Yeah, that's what we're hoping. And we just want to make sure that people understand that and that they're aware. And we'll be doing, um, you know, ensuring that there's training for staff and encouraging everyone to get the word out once we have the policy in place. Well, I, I'm, I'm happy to help get that word out. Ellen, thank you so much for the work and for your time today. Thank you. It's great to talk to you. Ellen Morlag Silk is Interim Director of Equality. Uh, for the city of Kitchener. And this is exactly uh, what they have said through their committees that uh, access without fear. I'm going to repeat that line because I I think that's such a great statement to make Um, that concern about the well-being and the safety of individuals who don't yet have the documentation in order to access certain services. And, and, and Ellen is absolutely correct. You don't have to, you know, you go to community centers or things like that. You don't have to show ID everywhere you walk in this in this country that's not what this country is about but at some points it's like well we need to see this or we need to see that we need to see a citizenship or birth certificate or a health card or this and that haven't got that yet whoops you're out of luck no uh i i don't know that it's at, at that level and as ellen said we were not talking specifically about an entire roster of city services we're just talking about some basic city services now that it's kind of a don't ask kind of thing access without fear so uh, I applaud that. I don't know if others do. Rush has some thoughts on it, I think, and is joining the show. Hey, Rush, go ahead. Thanks, Harry. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting it's an interesting conversation. Um, we're we're taking measures to make people who may or may not be in the country legally uh, feel more comfortable accessing uh, services that are sort of required, and I think that's that's. A, a reasonable thing to do, um, you know, to provide those options for them. Um, tying it into something you just said, we, you know, in Canada here, we don't ask for ID to go into a community center. We don't ask for ID to use a lot of other services. I just wonder, are we going to be checking the, the vaccine passports of these people? 
um, because we've certainly been doing that for the last uh, while here. So even regular or even um, people who were born in this country, people who are legal citizens of this country have had to show um, health personal private health information to access many of our services. So I just wonder how much how much we're going to bend over backwards um, to to make it easy for people who may not be here legally to get services when we haven't done it for our own citizens. Well, okay, and uh, Rush, thanks for the call. And it's I you know I understand it's a valid question, and I was that's kind of a hinted that when I was talking to Ellen about kind of. Well, well, why do we have to do it if they don't have to do it? You know, and I, I guess, we, first of all, I don't think we have to show vaccine passports anymore. Uh, that was a really brief experiment that, uh, I mean, I got one. I didn't find it particularly uh, intrusive to get one. And I wasn't really, technically, yes, I was sharing it. The one time that I used it, uh, the person just glanced at it to see that I had it and then looked at my ID that because I had it, I, I had it on my phone and uh, you know what? Not true. I just used it last week. I had to visit someone in the hospital, non COVID related. And to get in, I had to show my, my proof of uh, vaccination. So I had to, um, sh- so I used my vaccine passport to, sh- to do that. But, but, Otherwise, just to go out or anything, I, just to go out to have a brunch, I had to show it once and they barely looked at it. I mean, I, I don't know that I'm sharing this information out there. When it comes to areas of health, and because we've dropped a lot of the mandates and things like that, but if we were back a couple of months ago and accessing any public place required a vaccine passport, then I think you would, I don't know that that would be part of the program. I'm speculating, but when it comes to just a communicable disease and and health, I think then some of those documents would have to be required. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I disagree with the idea that, that well, we're our own citizens uh, we're, we're, are asked to do this, but people who are new to the country don't have the documentation or not. I don't think that's a fair comparison frankly. Uh, but if you'd like to talk more about this, we'll we'll take a brief break, talk more about it, and a few of the other things we have coming up on the show. Kitchener today, here on City News 570. It's about the development of what's being called an access without fear policy. And so what this means is when anyone is in need of accessing any city services for the city of Kitchener, that they would not have to worry about providing any documentation about their status or about being reported to authorities in any way. Uh, presenting the, the uh, I would say benefits, um, the applications, kind of the... Uh, the idea of it in general terms. So anyway, that professor is Zachary Spicer. He's going to join us here in about 10 minutes time. And we will talk a little bit more about the four day work week or maybe the three day hybrid or the two day hybrid or whatever it is. So we're going to get to that um, in just a few minutes time. Weirdest experience uh, yesterday. It's how weirdest. It was kind of odd. I, I popped into my grocery store yesterday. I, um, Still not good with big, big crowds, and especially now with fewer and fewer masks, you know, and uh, people 
not obeying the little directional arrows. Although a lot of directional arrows in the stores have been eliminated, if you notice this. But uh, nevertheless, I, I thought, well, I like to go for groceries. I used to just pop in when I needed something. And now during COVID, I would go like once a week, do a session, or maybe even ten once every 10 days. Less was better to go out and go out in an off time, fewer people. So I'm still kind of in that mode. And I go out on a Tuesday afternoon to my grocery store. And the produce shelves were empty. Empty. I, I mean, there was like two tomatoes. I think they had a pretty good potato section. But everything else was gone. There was no bananas. There was no apples. There was no onions there was it was just empty it was like wow and you know the in a in a typical grocery store they love to do up the produce section that's one of the draws when you walk in it's why usually when you walk into a store it's it's right there because it's colorful and fresh and oh my goodness you know uh and it was empty and and i've had that experience a couple of times, not with the produce section, but where you go to the store one day and, oh, this entire freezer section is empty. There's no, uh, there's no frozen treats or there's no this or uh, this is, you know, we've all experienced over the years times when they're just out of a product or the thing, the, the shipment didn't come in. We still got it at the back. Don't worry about it. that kind of thing, but just empty, gone. And I tell you, it's it's a small problem for us because uh, probably I could go today or tomorrow and it'll be full again. But it was just a little moment that I took for myself to go, wow, there are people who, you know, go to the stores now in various parts of the world. And I'm not equating my problem with people who have bigger problems in the world. This is don't give me the first world problem statement. I don't like it. I live in the first world. I have problems that once in a while are related to being in this world, and that's what it is. I'm not saying it's a bigger, smaller, worse, better problem than anybody else has. This, My problems don't amount to hella beans. I get that. But wow, when you go to a, a store in Canada and the shelves are empty, you know, because generally speaking, we don't have hurricanes where there's a rush, you know, to the grocery store and everything gets cleaned out, all the supplies, and you see them on the news, the empty shelves. You see it elsewhere. You don't see it here. And, and it's happened because of global supply chain, because of a lot of different things. Uh, once in a while here, you walk into a store and you see completely empty shelves in a particular area. And yesterday for me, it was produce. And I'm like, wow, this... This is just sort of this is what it feels like, except in this country, we have the benefit of, as I said, it'll be back later or tomorrow or the next day. Uh, but to see empty shelves like that, wow, it was such a weird experience, kind of unnerving in its own way and kind of stayed with me for the day. Uh, coming up in the program, the four day work week um, that is going on in Zora Township. And that topic in general, also later on after two o'clock, the Grand River Film Festival, which will be here quicker than you know it. We'll talk about their lineup for this year. That's all to come on Kitchener Today, City News 570. We have a lot of-
lot of signs of spring, maybe not in our day-to-day, although yesterday, gorgeous day, as you know, and those that's April. April is that first sign of spring for me, where I go, okay, it's April. I know we can still get snow, but it's some nice days. Uh, another one of those is Blue Jays, and that's starting. That's good. Another one of those is Easter. That's coming up. That's good. Another one is the Masters Golf tournament that usually kind of speaks spring and every year during the masters there's this thing uh i always hope for the best i always go well on on masters weekend am i going to be at home watching the masters or is is it going to be so nice that i want to be out golfing so that's not a big decision this year it's going to be iffy in a lot of parts but uh Masters. Yeah, I want to talk about that later on in the show. Also, here before you know it, let's call this a sign of spring, the Grand River Film Festival. It starts May 9th. And most recently, they announced their lineup. We're going to talk to their uh, chief programmer. That's coming up on the show. I mentioned the four-day work week. This is uh, an experiment. Oh, and I, I recently found out that a story I read recently about a four-day work week coming from the uh, Ford government was last Friday. The story was last Friday. It was an April Fool's joke. And I was like, man, I haven't fallen for an April Fool's joke forever. Uh, And I did. I thought it was a a real story. And only today I found out that that story was an April Fool's joke by uh, Blog D.O., I think, uh, was the culprit there. And I, I thought... I thought news organizations gave up doing April Fool's jokes. I just thought they should almost not be allowed. If you're a news provider and you're legitimate, let's say like not thoughts, of course, but if you're, if you're a legitimate news provider, you should not be allowed to do an April Fool's joke unless it's absolutely ludicrous. But maybe even then, because, you know, some people fall for it. I fell for that one. So there is no, program from the Ontario government for a four-day work week, but there is one in Zora Township, and it's a pilot project, and one of the people who made a presentation to the township about the ins and outs of this is our guest, Associate Professor, uh, School of Public Policy and Administration from York University. Zachary Spicer is joining us now. Professor Spicer, thank you for joining us. No problem. Hopefully we haven't caught you on a day off or anything like this, so we're not interrupting <laughs> your your work schedule here. But uh, you made the presentation to to the township. Uh, tell me a little bit about that without doing the whole presentation again about what what you presented based on on this idea of a four day work week. Sure. So um, the the township of Zora was looking uh, for an evaluation of their um, of their pilot project. So a colleague and I um, evaluated uh, the pilot um, before it launched and uh, close to the end of it. So we had a, a, a pre pre pilot survey and a post pilot survey um, based upon our results, which um, which were overwhelmingly positive. Um, the the uh, township has, has actually opted to end the pilot and make this permanent. Wow. Now, and when we talk about a four-day work week, are we talking longer days or just less hours in the course of a week, uh, based uh, typically yeah. on a 40-hour week? Yeah. So, um, essentially, um, the way the, um, the compressed work week 
works in Zora is that you would work four longer days. Um, so essentially, um, you uh, the the entire workforce is is uh, split into two teams. So one team works uh, Monday to Thursday from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. And then the second team works from Tuesday to Friday, again, from 8 a.m. until until 5 p.m. The work week uh, still consists of 35 hours, um, but there's a 30-minute lunch break, and one of the 15-minute of the, of the breaks were eliminated. So the day is, is longer, and there's less breaks in it, um, but you get a three-day weekend every single weekend. Right. Uh, does this kind of system, and I know you can maybe nuance things like breaks and lunch breaks, is it more conducive to something like, let's say, municipal workers at a township or in an office, or or, or uh, is it better for some businesses than others, shall we say? Well, um, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it certainly works for, for some work settings better than others. So, for instance, um, the um, the recreation and uh, public works area within the township were were not included in this primarily because um, they have uh, much much different duties right so um, in I think for for those who are working within an office setting this is something that um, is probably quite feasible um, for others who are you know working in say like like emergency services or something where there's where they're perhaps on call, um, it would be very challenging to to sort of have a have a workday setting like this. But because of um, because Zora split the workforce, um, there is always someone who's actually in the office every single day. So it's not like the mm-hmm. like the city shuts down for one day a week. In fact, because they um, their 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 staff are actually working longer hours, the uh, township office is actually open an additional five hours each week. So the public is actually getting additional service. Now, for them to go from pilot to permanent obviously indicates there was some great feedback on both sides, right, from staff and management, I take it. Yeah, so um, we found some pretty positive results. I think most people uh, can probably understand why. Um, uh, some of the a, a compressed work week pilot on the surface sounds like it's a fantastic idea, but of course, um, there are uh, you know some some potential challenges that we have seen in other workplaces, both public and private. So, um, in some cases, um, people dislike working longer hours each day. Um, in some cases, um, we see increased levels of fatigue, uh, which leads to decreased levels of cognitive performance as shift length increases, um, and in, in some cases that. That leads to productivity challenges, but even you know work, workplace accidents and stuff like that. Um, in some instances, we've seen problems with um, scheduling um, and employees kind of moonlighting with other jobs, right? So if you have an, an, an additional day off each week, sometimes employees take on part-time work, and in some cases, that may conflict with with their with their full-time duties we didn't find any of those um challenges when we conducted our surveys in zora um primarily uh because the because the shift length was kept reasonable right so we're looking at a little bit under nine hours a day um that's much more reasonable than say a 12-hour shift or something along those lines so fatigue wasn't really a factor productivity remained high 
Um, for the most part, um, Zora employees found that this led to a much much better work life balance. That um, the weekends are, you know, still a pretty busy time. We you know if you're working Monday through Friday, the weekends, you know, are usually time for chores, to clean up around the house, do shopping, stuff like that. With a three day work week, with a three day weekend every weekend, one of those days can actually be for leisure. So we were hearing people say, like, I actually got a chance to to read a book, you know, or to yeah. you know, catch up on a TV show, stuff like that, right? Yeah, leisure, leisure. What is that? Okay, but you no, know, how how does this work? In I, you hear stories all the time about people in office situations where the because of connectivity, you're getting the email at 10 o'clock at night. So mm-hmm. I guess my point on the work week is, is when you're done at five, are you done? Uh, like, I mean, that has to be a factor that plays into this stuff. Yeah. People within the, the, the organization had some trouble shutting down. Right. So primarily those okay. who, who, who were senior executives, um, for the most part, most you know, everyone respected the workday and understood that you know that someone was either off entirely on Monday or entirely on Friday. Um, but uh, some some of of the, the senior executives had trouble fully disconnecting, and they did admit that they were answering a couple of emails here and there. Um, and I think that executives with any organization probably have some some challenge doing that, right? So responding. To um, emails on the weekend is probably the norm for some people in certain professions. Um, Zora is a is a pretty small workforce, right? We are talking about 31 people here, right? Um, so the the and we're talking about a, about a pilot as well, right? So I think the workplace culture uh, was pretty good prior. I think that um, people understood that if you liked this, right, this was a pilot project. Um, you have to make sure that you're respecting people's days off and stuff like that. Now, that could change as time goes on. But we we found primarily um, during the pilot, people actually were able to take that third day off. Mm-hmm. This life-work balance, I've heard it more and more in these last two years than I've ever heard it. Let me ask you your opinion on this, the four-day work week. Is it the future for you know, where applicable offices, things like that. Is it even less than that? Is it, is it three in a hybrid version? Like, where do you think this is going? Well, I'm not sure if, uh, if a four day work week is the way to go in the future, but I, I can say with certainty that the world of work is changing um, and people are demanding increased flexibility, whether that is three very long days or four days or, um, remote work or a kind of hybrid option where you're three days at home, two days in the office, something like that. The pandemic has fundamentally changed the way that people perceive work-life balance. And younger people, um, you know, want, uh, want to have a life that is, you know, fairly balanced between work and leisure. And so I think we have a, ge- a generation of workers who are approaching work thinking that I'm not going to sell uh, so much of my life to my employer, right? I'm not going to give them too much of it, right? And um, so I, I think attitudes around work are fundamentally changing, and employers are going to have to change with them. One of the reasons why 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 Zora engaged in this in this uh, pilot was that they wanted to increase retention and recruitment, right? It is um, 
it's a pretty competitive world out there for talent in the municipal sector, right? So to get the best people, they had to make themselves an, an attractive employer and to stand out. And this certainly, certainly accomplished that. So I think that other sectors and other industries have to think about this too. I hear you on that. I, I, I totally agree. This has been a very informative. Uh, Professor Spicer, thank you so much. No problem at all. Take care. Zachary Spicer, Associate Professor, School of Public Policy and Administration, York University, uh, studied this and presented to Zora Township on this 10-day work week, which they've just gone from pilot to permanent. Uh, what are your thoughts on this, uh, 519-570-2545, 1-800-570-5715 is toll-free, star 570 on your cell. Let me know, are you in a situation where you uh, have changed your work habits? And I get this really applies to uh, what we used to call white collar, but office, let's just say office, where there's you know certain service industries, um, emergency on-call kind of industries, factory shifts, things like that, where it's just, well, you know, don't have the option to work from home. And also this is the work week. We're not going to be working um, four days a week. We're going to be working five and six and that's just the way it is. But I mean, even in those situations you can, it's just a matter of uh, moving staff and shifts around so that everybody gets the four-day work week, but your company is also still efficient for five days, six days, seven days, whatever your company needs to be. So there is that. I mean, the benefit there, as Professor Spicer just said, in Zora Township, they ended up actually being open more than they were before because of the longer days. So citizens in the township benefited actually from having more access to their township while others worked a little bit longer per day, but then had one less day a week where you have to go into the office. And it very much is, as I indicated to Professor Spicer, how you set up. It's the management of the particular area. If you're getting those 10 o'clock at night emails and then and, and responding to them and, and those Saturday and Sunday emails, then it really doesn't matter that you have a weekend or an extra day off if the office is constantly in touch. Because we've blurred that line, too. Because when you get that email at 10 o'clock at night, um, it, it, it should say, hey, sorry for the late email. This can wait till tomorrow, but I just wanted to get off my desk. Even that's intrusive. But sometimes it requires action in the moment. And you're like, hey, can this wait till tomorrow? Because once in a while, things come up in every business this can't wait till Monday, okay? Don't mind helping you out occasionally. But if it's just a regular practice, then it doesn't matter what your hours are or your benefits are or how many days a week you're in the office. If you're constantly there in a mindset, then it's just not good. So it's specifically management also has to make the application, respect the work-life balance, respect the hours, um, the, the, you know, draw the line and stay behind it when it comes to interfering in somebody's personal life. Uh, so a lot of things required, but yeah, the, he's absolutely right. The, because of COVID and even before that, because of connectivity, uh, the workforce and the way we uh, look at our uh, work lives have really changed. You hear about people all the time now, especially younger people getting into the workforce about 
that and you're always supposed to do this when you go for a job you're actually supposed to be kind of interviewing your uh, potential employer as well right it's not always just about you boy i if i could only work here it's like are you good enough for me to have me work here you know it's like you're supposed to do that but now people do that more and more where it's it's you hear about these stories all the time where younger people are going in and it's going well so why do i want to work here you tell me and then i'll tell you about how good i am you know <laughs> the dynamic has changed. So any of those thoughts on workforce and if you've changed your work habits either because of COVID or connectivity or any of it over the last couple of years, couple of months, uh, let me know. We'll get to your calls and more of this in just another minute or two here on City News 570. The way the depressed work week works in Zora is that you would work four longer days. So essentially, you the, the entire workforce is split into two teams. So one team works Monday to Thursday from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. And then the second team works from Tuesday to Friday, again, from 8 a.m. until 5 p.m. Associate professor at York University in the School of Public Policy and Administration, Zachary Spicer, who you heard there, our guest moments ago on Kitchener Today. I'm your guest host, Larry Fedorik, and we talked about the four-day work week at Zora Township. How, uh, you know, earlier on in the program, I was kidding around about changing the entire calendar, you know, changing the calendar. That that man didn't invent time. We invented the way we keep track of it. So, why, why don't we change the calendar around? Less days this month, more days the next month, more hours this day. And, and I was, you know, obviously being satirical, facetious, what have you. But the whole thing was we got to try. And this is kind of how I look at the work week. Somebody finally said, why don't we try something? Four days. Took a long time. You hear of it more and more. And Professor Spicer was the one that did a study on the Zora Township model, uh, benefits, negatives, so on and so forth. Very few negatives. Obviously, they went from a pilot project to a a permanent status. But there are a lot of places that with a little bit of effort could go to that four-day work week. Um, You know, a lot of things come into play, like when you're off work, you're off work. I said that earlier so that you're not always connected to the office. People have to respect that more. Um, How much you goof off during the day, (laughs) I guess that would be a factor as well. Uh, Efficiency of of how people work and their jobs all play into this, but I, I think it's absolutely doable in a lot of places. This Monday through Friday, nine to five, it's still a big deal. We still have a morning rush hour, an afternoon rush hour, and so on and so forth. And, and, you know, certain things are busier on Saturday and Sunday than they would be on a Monday through Friday. So it's a, it exists in a big time, but I, I think it's turning over. Jerry is calling the show. Hey, Jerry, go ahead. Hey, how are you, Larry? Uh, good, Jerry, how are you? Good. I think, uh, I think it's great that, you know, the talk and the conversation there is to try, to try this. Uh, I think what's going to happen, though, is that we're going to basically completely transform uh, – Headhunting and scouting negotiations uh, of new uh, employees in, in a way that, uh, you know, some people could offer now. Maybe if, if some people weren't offering that four-day week, maybe another business would come along and say, you know, if they were interested in employees saying, hey, uh, we offer a four-day work week here, and, and that might be working to negotiation style of that. Also, 
we've seen with the pandemic, the either working from home or hybridized working, you know, companies can offer this as sort of maybe steer, uh, you know, employees in that in that direction. Maybe maybe you're making a couple grand less, five grand, ten grand, but you know, you can work from home or you got a four day work week. So it's going to be really interesting in, in that regard if this if this takes legs. Um, also, you had mentioned yeah. about uh, during the interview process about interviewing your your employer as well, uh, a possible employer. Uh, one thing I've always found beneficial is going through the interview process when they ask you, you know, do you have any questions after their sort of round of questioning is, is asking the, sometimes if it's a panel interview or maybe it's just one person is just ask them what they enjoy about working at, at, at their, at where they're at. And if, if it's kind of met with sort of a pause or really have to think about it, then you kind of, it's really telling a big right away say, Oh, you know, hmm. I like this and, and this, and this is great. It really shows that they, they truly do love working there. And, uh, you know, it didn't take them a while to think too hard about why that was. That's a great point. That's a great question, Jerry. Thank you for your call, Jerry. I appreciate that. That's that's a great one. I it, it, that's perfect because so often they will say, you know, what uh, have any questions? No, I'm good. Hey, great. I'm I'm great. Uh, when are you going to call me? And and we don't have a. That's a great question. I'm going to remember that. Should I ever have to apply again? When when I got um, downsized for my last job, one of the benefits they gave me was, um, I forget what to call them. They're kind of like an employee advisor. You you learn how to network and you learn how to do certain things and how to redo your, your CV and, and learn how to do job interviews again. And, and I was like, yeah, I don't know. I know how to do that. And then I, I learned a bunch of new things. Didn't hear that one that Jerry suggested. But yeah, I think you have to learn those things. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad if the system is kind of being turned on its end, I'm, I'm like, yeah, bring it on. Let's, let's change it. Let's, let's interview our potential employer and let's ask the questions. Cause Jerry's absolutely right. If it's close dollar wise, cause I think that's the big thing. What then what are some of the benefits? And as the professor mentioned, very competitive in the municipal field. And that's why they had to offer a better work service place say four day work week because of the competitive job market out there. So really interesting. I think it's going to happen, you know, pretty much as, as uh, Jerry said, uh, we're going to turn uh, on the movies. Well, the films, the film festival, Grand River begins in about a month time. We'll talk to their programming chair when we return with more of Kitchener today. Welcome to the last hour of Kitchener today for your Wednesday. I'm your guest host, Larry Fedorik. I mentioned earlier some of the signs of spring that aren't weather necessarily. Things like Easter and the return of baseball and uh, the Masters, Masters Golf Tournament. Now, I abandoned golf. I started playing golf later in life. Um, it it took over my life for a while there. And then a couple of years ago, I just abandoned it because I thought, well, the skills required have kind of abandoned me. Not that I ever really had any, but um, I did go out there and hack it up with the best of them. And, and, and then I kind of fell off it. And still, though, I'm drawn to some of the bigger tournaments on television. And let's face it, watching golf on television is about as passive an activity as there can be. So if you ever just want to 
relax, golf, the way they talk, the, the, uh, and I swear when I watch the masters, they add those bird sounds on a soundtrack separately, but they, apparently they don't, the, the birds chirping and the magnolias and azaleas or whatever the heck they are. And, and it's beautiful to watch. And I might just do that this weekend. So I want to talk about the, the Masters golf tournament a little bit, just in general terms, and specifically about Tiger Woods, because I've had some thoughts on him lately. And it looks now like he's going to play. And it's hard to believe, in some ways, it's hard to believe that here's a guy, you know, pushing kind of the boundaries of the seniors tour. Uh, that is still the name, if you will, perhaps not the top skilled guy due to various things, but is still the guy that they want as a draw at the Masters. And it looks like he will be playing in the opening round at least. And uh, that is tomorrow. Uh, it, it begins in Augusta, Georgia. So we'll talk about that in our next half hour. Sign of Spring has to be also the Grand River Film Festival. It begins May 9th. Like, that's like right away. It'll be here before you know it. And most recently, the festival announced their lineup for 2022. The programming chair of the Grand River Film Festival is Michael Clark, who joins us now. Hello, Michael. Hi, Larry. Thanks for having me. Thanks. I, I imagine you, uh, thanks for coming on. I imagine you do work on this year round, but here you are, I mean, up against it. It's, uh, I, you got, you announced the lineup. I assume you guys are ready. It's like a month away, right? We're as ready as you can possibly be. Uh, you're right. You know, the, the process for, for starting the festival really begins in August. So as soon as the festival's over, we're, we're starting to think about next year, but this is, uh, this is crunch time. This is uh, getting everything all ready to go. And how important is this year's festival as opposed to the last two years of challenges putting on a film festival? Not that it's not that we're all over it. We know that, but, but here you are, I'm sure feeling a little bit more positive about this year. It's true. I mean, the most important thing about this year is that we're back in person um, for, for at least part of it, you know, 2020, we didn't have a festival, obviously. Um, last year we went completely online uh, and this year we have a, a hybrid festival. So um, you know, some screenings for uh, online for people who who want to you know continue to watch movies in the comfort of their home. But um, for for a, a little bit of the, the festival there, we're going to be back at the Apollo in downtown Kitchener, and we're going to be sharing the experience of movies once again, which is just it feels so good to say that. Uh, absolutely, and I, I sense though, and I want to get into the specific. Uh, specifics of this year's festival, but I sense that that's kind of the challenge of the future of because people do uh, absorb content in many different ways now, and that's probably going to be around forever or a long time. You know, that it's the biggest question. And, and, and it's one that every festival is is facing is, you know, how do we um, get these amazing films to our audience. And, and the thing with festivals like ours is, you know, we deal with independent movies. So these are not the sorts of movies that would ever come to uh, Cineplex or a landmark. These are movies that get made with just as much passion and, and um, uh, enthusiasm. And then they make the festival circuit. And then some of them just disappear. 
Um, and they, they never end up on a streaming service like Netflix. Some of them don't even show up on DVD at the library. And so as a festival, we really feel an obligation to be able to bring these sorts of films to the region. And, and how do we go about that? And, and we firmly believe that, that film is best experienced when, when shared in a, in a theater full of other people who are experiencing the movie for the first time. But we also have to look at the realities of, of the, the world. And when we had to make our decisions this year, we, we didn't know what level restrictions would be at. We thought maybe we would have to do an, another festival entirely online. And, mm-hmm. and it's, and, you know, it's, it's good luck um, that, that we can um, show, you know, five great movies at the Apollo uh, when we can. Um, and it's great that we have eight other feature films that we can show online. So there's a little something for everybody. I have a friend who's an independent filmmaker and the passion and just the labors of love that they put into their film. And I got to work on one of them, help out for a couple of days just because I got caught up in the passion of it. So, I mean, these are the kind of films usually that, that, would love to be in a festival like yours, a, a prestigious festival like Grand River. Uh, so yeah, I get that. I get that totally. You know, and those are some some films that people got to see because they may not get a chance, as you said, they may not get a chance to see them in in years to come. But that but that that passion is up there on the screen. Absolutely. And with independent movies, you know, these are these are movies that are being made not for huge budgets. You know, it's, they're not throwing the, the budget of an Avengers at these filmmakers. They're, they're passion <laughs> projects. Oftentimes, you know, the directors are also the, the writers or the, the stars. You know, there's, it's a community project as much as anything else. Um, and, and they turn out just absolutely wonderful films every year. And it's, it's always a heartbreak for me when I'm, you know, working with my committee and, and going through and, and selecting the movies to be in the festival because you want to choose all of them. And, you know, you have to ultimately make a choice. You know, we only we can yeah. only show so many movies. So which ones make the cut? And it's uh, it's always, uh, you know, uh, you know, choose your darlings uh, sort of situation. Yeah. But, uh, we think we've got a great lineup this year. I say that every year, but I always mean it. Every year is just an amazing lineup of films. Well, yeah, and, and and five films now, you said, at the Apollo. Can you talk about those a bit? Sure. So um, our in-person events are going to run May 11 to 14. Um, so that's Wednesday to Saturday. Uh, we've got a, a film every night at 7 and then a, an extra one on the Thursday night at 9. Um, and, it, you know, we always try to pick films that appeal to uh, anyone in the region. Um, we don't, we're, you know, we're not a, we're not a festival that has a, a niche. So, you know, there's, there's films in here that appeal to all types of people. Um, and hopefully, um, you know, if people look at our schedule, there's something in there that they're going to like. So opening night, we've got a, an American movie called Lorelei. It's a, you know, a straight down the middle drama about a, an ex con who gets out of prison and, um, meets up with his high school sweetheart who has three kids and, and he kind of, you know, ingratiates himself into their family and their struggles. Uh, and, and, you know, that appeals very much to the sort of uh, viewer who wants to, you know, experience a, a heartwarming human story. 
On the flip side of that, you know, Friday night, our big show on Friday night is a documentary called Come Back Anytime. Um, and it's about a, a master ramen chef in Japan who has uh, been operating a restaurant for 40 years and he's getting up there and he's decided that he's not going to pass his recipes on to anybody else. So when he goes, his recipes go with him. And it's this wow. incredibly touching documentary that also just you watch it and all you want to do is is have a bowl of ramen uh, afterwards. Um, <laughs> about this, this, this old guy who just loves making noodles. Uh, and it follows him and, and all of his regulars who have been coming to this restaurant for 40 years and, and just fills you up with joy to watch it. Isn't that interesting? Uh, people always say the phrase dinner and a movie, and I've always believed in movie and dinner because I always enjoy going to a movie and then going to dinner afterwards and talking about it. And every once in a while I see a movie. There's been two or three movies in my life where I watch the movie and I'm just so hungry afterwards, like movie like Big Night or something like that. This sounds like one of those movies where don't eat beforehand, eat afterward, right? (laughs) Yeah, come on an empty stomach, work yourself up. And then we've got so many great ramen restaurants in the region. Uh, You know, take your, choose your pick. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, what else in the, as far as the Apollo? Uh, also at the Apollo. So Thursday night we've got a we've got a combo of films. At seven o'clock we've got Stanleyville, which is a, uh, a kind of a, an absurd Canadian film, but a, a woman who's chosen to take part in a uh, in a contest. Uh, and the best way I can describe this is a Squid Game through a Canadian lens. Um, okay. It's got all the hallmarks of a, a really offbeat Canadian comedy um, that's a, a little dark around the edges. Um, but if you if you like something that has that that era of absurdity, uh, Stanleyville is absolutely up your your alley. And then uh, immediately after that, at nine o'clock on Thursday night, we're going to be showing Dust Man. This is a, an incredibly touching South Korean film uh, about a, a young woman who meets a, a homeless man in Seoul. And um, he spends his days um, drawing pictures in the dust uh, in the uh, the Seoul subway stations. And she takes a picture of uh, a couple of his creations, and they become an Internet sensation. And um, she and he kind of ride the wave of, of notoriety and fame. Um, but that notoriety brings with it um, some past traumas and, and why he is living on the streets um, kind of resurfaces um and it's an absolutely beautiful film it really shows off soul really shows off um, the amazing dust art drawings that were done by a, a real artist um and uh so if you're looking for for just a, a beautiful experience I highly recommend coming up to to dust man wow uh, and then our our closing night uh saturday Saturday, we've actually got uh, quite a bit going on, and it's um, we're taking the opportunity to really highlight Indigenous filmmakers on Saturday the 14th, uh, and we have two events going on. Um, in the afternoon at the uh, KPL Theater, the main branch, we have a free screening uh, happening, um, and it's uh, a pair of documentaries, um, one uh, out of America called From Wisconsin with Love, and the other one is uh, from right here in the region. It's the stories from Land Bank Camp. And uh, these two documentaries both um, deal with uh, land back organizations and the, the indigenous 
uh, people who are, are um, you know, taking a stand and, and putting together these organizations. And it was really important for Griff to, to um, both highlight filmmaking that is happening here in the region, but also highlighting the amazing work that's being done by Indigenous filmmakers. And so we're happy to present that uh, screening for free at KPL on, on uh, the 14th at 2 p.m. And then that evening at the Apollo, uh, we have uh, Run, Woman, Run, which uh, was uh, filmed down in Six Nations uh, by Zoe Hopkins. Uh, and it's, a, uh, it's a, a funny and heartwarming story about a, uh, a woman who um, has kind of, her life's kind of gone off the rails. She hasn't uh, treated herself all that well. And she decides to start uh, training for a run. Uh, and she is um, uh, coached in this regard by the ghost of Tom Longfoot, a sports legend from the early 1900s. And uh, together with this ghost, she kind of, you know, learns to accept herself and gets in touch with her community. And it's a, it's a great film. And so those two um, programs were really, really focusing on the incredible uh, uh, movies that are being made in indigenous communities and by indigenous artists uh, in the area. Uh, and we always like supporting right. uh, local filmmakers as well. Uh, the, the indie filmmakers, the smaller filmmakers, as we already touched on, Michael, it, it, there's so much passion there. And, and uh, not that, that, you know, the, the, the big Hollywood ones or some of the, the higher budget ones aren't passionate about their craft as well, but th these are just so worth seeing I, I don't want to run us out of time here because i could talk just uh, about this all day without finding out what tickets are available how do people get to see these movies and and that kind of information so um, uh, tell me there's still tickets available for these oh there absolutely are still tickets available for for all of our in-person screenings and for all of our virtual screenings um which uh all of those can be found on grff.ca. We just launched a brand new website uh, with the lineup. So it's all new uh, and all wonderful this year for Griff, but that's grff.ca. You can get tickets and passes there. Um, we highly recommend that you take a look at our schedule in person, virtual. As you said at the top, our, uh, our festival goes from May 9th to the 22nd. So you've got those in-person screenings kind of in the middle, but our virtual festival is going for two full weeks. So whatever works for your schedule, you can sit down, you can watch amazing films and we have shorts available on the virtual as well. So if, if you want to sit down and you want to watch, you know, a, a 12 minute or a two minute or, or, you know, a short film, those are up there too. And, and I want to just highlight before we run out of time on our virtual platform, we have a local shorts um, program that we are also offering to our audience for free. So for those, wow. the full two weeks of the, the duration of the festival, you can go on, you can see a collection of shorts that were all filmed here in the region by filmmakers from the region. And that is, it's so important to us to support local filmmakers in that way. Grand River Film Festival. So it's grff.com. CA, you said? That's it. Okay. Uh, that's where you find out more information. Well, I was excited about it before, but now even more so uh, after talking to you. Michael, all the best. Thank you so much. Thank you.
Michael Clark is programming chief of the Grand River Film Festival coming up May 9th to the 22nd. And again, that website is uh, G. Uh, oh, isn't that silly? Here it is. G-R-F-F. Well, it's Grand River Film Festival, Larry. Figure it out. G-R-F-F.ca for more information. We'll talk a little bit more about movies and how we watch them when we come back with Kitchener Today. Welcome back to the program. I am Larry Fedorik, filling in today, guest host on Kitchener Today. We were just talking with Michael Clark. He's a programming chief of the Grand River Film Festival. Again, that's grff.ca. For the movies that are in person this year, again, and also streaming online through that film festival, starting May 9th, going to the 22nd, we were talking a little bit about independent filmmakers. I've got a friend who is one and uh, actually said, I've got a part in a movie for you. Um, that I'm, we're working on, and would you be interested in doing it? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding? I've been waiting for my movie career to take off for most of my life. And I realized that in order for my movie career to take off, I should probably be in a movie. And uh, I, had a little, I have a little part in this movie, and they've been working on it and putting it together. Whenever they have some some money to sort of uh, get some things done for the film. They get it done. And I've watched this labor of love for a couple of years. And it wants you know, one of these days shortly, it's going to be in a film festival and I'm going to be in a movie. And I'm very excited about that. But what I've, <laughs> what I've seen also is the fact that, um, boy, the, the dedication that these independent filmmakers have, and some of them get success and they get contracts and big budgets and some don't, but they still make these amazing movies. And these are the kind of movies you see, including a lot of local ones that you will see at this year's Grand River Film Festival. I think it's just so, so wonderful, that whole creative endeavor. And then to, to have an audience at a film festival like Grand River. Wow, that's going to be terrific. So check out their website, uh, grff.ca, and those dates coming up soon for that film festival. Uh, the mass, excuse me, the masters starts tomorrow and eyes are on Tiger Woods. Really? We'll talk about that after a short break from Kitchener today here on city news, five seventy. Welcome back to the show. I love how we always talk about, uh, clinics and, and whether they be regular clinics or vaccine clinics as a walk-in. I'm more sensitive to this uh, ever since I have a friend in a wheelchair who would constantly point out to me barriers to her access that I didn't quite get. Everybody gets when there's a, you know, sidewalk wheels, wheelchair accessibility uh, part and things like that. But there was always things she pointed out to me that were just like, see, people don't think of people in wheelchairs. And I was like, yeah, you know, you're right. It's, and, and we would talk about this. And, and I, I tried to be a bit of an advocate. But it's like I, I walked by a walk-in clinic that had a wheelchair ramp. And I, and I would um, say to her, it's like it's called a walk-in clinic. You know, you're not allowed in there. And she would laugh. And we would kind of half kid about this. What? It, it just kind of spoke to the attitudes we have about, I'm not suggesting we change 
the language of a walk-in clinic. No, just a minute. I, I think I am. I think I am exactly suggesting that. that we should think of another name for walk-in clinics because it's almost like people in wheelchairs. I guess that's not for me. You know, if we change the language, words matter, then thing, things change after that as well. Don't, don't you think? Yeah. I, I said earlier, we're going to talk about the master's. I do want to spend a couple of minutes on that. And again, I'm just going to give the phone numbers now, because if you have some thoughts on, on Tiger Woods, what is this about still? Please let me know. Or, or the Masters or Golf, 519-570-2545, 1-800-570-5715 is toll free. Star 570 on your cell phone. Here's the deal. So I have kind of an odd thing with golf. I didn't always golf. I golfed later in life, I began, because I didn't golf before that. Why don't you golf, Larry? Everybody golfs. Why don't you golf? Because it's stupid. This was kind of my response. I didn't like it. And uh, my son, about adolescent age, right around the time when dad was no longer the cool guy to hang out with anymore, said to me one day, I'd like to golf. And I'm like, well, yeah, your dad doesn't golf, but I'll tell you, you know, maybe. Um, so I found a, a course, a public course that had lessons for for young young people, and got him some lessons. And I went out there, and then uh, uh, the the lessons included a couple of free rounds of golf. So I would rent the clubs, and and I realized at that, but then I got the love of the game because I was enjoying it with my son. We could spend four hours and more just hanging out. And I went, that's it. You know, Mark Twain said, good walk spoiled. That's how he described golf. And it can be that, but there was that good walk and surroundings and chat and chatter. And once in a while you hit a ball and, and I just kind of absorbed the game that way. And then about five or six years after that, Tiger Woods happens and it's crazy. Everybody wants to do it. And that's what Tiger Woods brought to the game. Uh, not just people of color, because he was a person of color. There was ethnicity in professional golf, but not really a person of color who represented, you know, the old you got to see it to be it kind of theory. There was no black professional golfer. And Tiger Woods was this. And he was young and good looking and, and youth, never mind just Ethnicity, he brought youth to the game. All of a sudden, this old man's game, young people were playing it. I went out and bought Tiger Woods golf shoes uh, when this was happening because that was the, I thought, the only missing element to my game was just needed the same shoes Tiger had, you know. <laughs> and, hey, those are cool shoes. Those are Tigers. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're the ti Tiger Nike shoes. I'm, I'm, I'm really good, you know. And, and and played it for many years and, and really had a good time. And somewhere between a decent golfer and a complete miserable hacker is where I kind of fell. Um, on, on, a, on a good day, I was almost decent. On a bad day, I was not a hacker. So, you know, good enough to kind of get out there and not be too embarrassing. And uh, a lot of good times spent. And then, and then not. Now I'm kind of off it. And even watching golf is not the same. Although I may watch the Masters this weekend, just at least check in on it to see if Tiger makes it to the weekend because he's going to play. It starts tomorrow in Augusta, Georgia. It's uh, of all the U.S. Opens and British Open, even Canadian Open, uh, Tournament of Champions, these kinds of things. The Masters is still kind of the one where 
uh, people will watch. I don't want to, it's not the Super Bowl of golf. It's not the Super Bowl of golf. I just banged my microphone there. I apologize. But it's, it's, um, it's up there. I, I think it's culturally goes beyond sports, at least a little bit. So be watching of some interest. But Tiger really has an interest to me. And I'll tell you why in a second. I want to get to Terry, first of all, though. Hey, Terry, what's up? Hey, hi, Larry. How are you? Good. How are you? Oh, good. Thanks. Um, yeah, the grand appeal with Tiger is he's just market, uh, marketable uh, individual. Like uh, the networks, they can make big money off of him, and so can these, uh, you know, golfing merchandise things. They can uh, market his name and, and make make big money. I mean, uh, <laughs> when was the last? I know he won a tournament a couple years ago, but before that, he hadn't won anything in like what twelve, thirteen years. But still, yeah. people are out there yeah. flocking to. To, to brandish that Tiger Woods name, I think it's just the grand appeal of, of his marketability. That, that's that's why, he, like, is he going to win anything this weekend at this tournament? I, I wouldn't bet on it, but uh, people are still going to tune in because, you know, they're just, there's that fascination because of his big name. And, and, and the networks will pump his tires and say, you know, that's what you're going to hear all weekend because they know they can make money off of him. He's, he's uh, yeah. Like I said, he's just a big, big marketing tool for the uh, for the establishment of golf. As far as golf's concerned, with me, with me personally, I I don't care for it. I've gone a handful of times to play. Don't like it. It's it's not that I'm any good at it, which I'm not. But uh, it's just uh, in four or five hours, I can find many, many other things to do in that in that time period than chase a little white ball down a patch of grass or in in a little you know. A, a pond or something like that but uh, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's the grand appeal of his name i think it's, it's what draws people to him thanks larry i agree but, but and terry thanks for the call but it's the why yeah and i mean i was like that before i played golf four or five hours what a waste of time and never mind getting there getting back it's a day you know and, and then for a while that really appealed to me and me falling off golf was for exactly the same reason it was like man this is four or five hours i could do a lot of other things you know now, mind you, I never, if, if I got really good at it, I might have felt differently. I might have stuck with it. I don't know. I got, I got a friend. He's like a scratch golfer. He's, he's around my age, a little younger, but, and, and he still plays all the time because he's really good. I mean, you know, boy, if you're really good at something, wouldn't you do it? I guess if you're like me, you just kind of let it go. It's like four or five hours a day. And, and it was great too, because for COVID times, I mean, I know they closed golf courses. Everything was closed initially. But at the beginning, when they opened up golf, I'm like, yeah, you got to open up golf because talk about distancing. For me, it was perfect. I mean, hey, you guys, I'm golfing in this foursome. You guys are golfing there on on the fairway. I'll be over there in the forest looking for my ball. I'll be down there by the creek fishing my ball out of the water. So distancing was not a problem for me. I actually think it was Doug Ford who said it wasn't so much the golfing, but it was the guys getting together for beers afterwards. And everybody kind of made fun of Doug Ford for kind of saying it, but it's true. It's true. That was the problem with golfing is, is the social afterward, you know, getting out on a big wide open golf course, COVID times, it was great. It was great. Uh, the, now Terry brought up exactly where I'm going with this is the marketing value of tiger. Well, I mean, I don't understand that there's, there's been other guys who are super talented, who look good on TV and in the golf ads, you know, they're marketable, um, good personalities, uh, 
all of it and have won maybe not as much as Tiger, but won a lot of major tournaments. Who are they? I don't know. Rory McIlroy. Sure. You know, I mean, you could come up with names if you, nobody's as big as Tiger. All these years later, he hasn't won anything. Was it the destruction, the complete downfall of Tiger? Is that part of the appeal of it? Because I was thinking about that today when I was watching some of the Masters coverage. Well, it starts tomorrow, but, you know, kind of the pre, pre-tournament pre coverage, what's going to happen in the Masters, is Tiger playing, all that. So that's going on, and I'm looking at it, and I'm saying, well, all right. Uh, it would be kind of interesting to see how Tiger does. And I'm the same way. I want to see him play. And I thought, when when was that? Because I remember I was doing a talk show and it took over the talk show for the rest of the year. What year was that? It was, drum roll, 2009. 2009, end of November. Some all-night thing, Tiger near his home, car accident, something, something, maybe in an argument with his wife, domestic. This is, you know, the story is kind of trickling out there. And, um, Wow. 2009, and then it was the down. Now, previous to that, it was Tiger, 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 Tiger. How much is he going to win? How badly is he going to shatter every golf record? Is he the Gretzky of golf or whatever comparison you want to make? And on and on and on. And I remember watching a 60 Minutes special with Tiger Woods and the Tiger Woods Foundation. And here's Tiger working with children and offering, you know, sharing his millions with the less privileged and through his foundation. And then he, you know, he marries, of course, the supermodel, beautiful woman and the beautiful children and like how perfect is Tiger Woods? Oh my gosh. And then suddenly we find out, well, Tiger Woods has just been sleeping with every woman who walks, apparently, who's willing to sleep with him. It didn't even it's not that he was even having an affair. He was like, oh, excuse me, waitress. You got 10 minutes? You know, I'm Tiger Woods. It, it just was, the spiral down was terrible. It, it you know, he apologized. It's, it's, it was his dad alive at this point? I think his dad made it past at this point. But his mother, remember, he brought his mother out to a press conference. Oh, Tiger, we love Tiger. He's trying and uh, all that that we've heard from various uh, celebrities over the years, how, oh, this is not the person I'm, I want to be, and I made some mistakes, and, which is the classic PR thing, right? When you've been caught, the first thing you do is admit what you did wrong and throw yourselves on the mercy of the public. That's what you're supposed to do in order to get back into favor when you really screw up badly and all your contract endorsement deals are gone and people start to think of you a different way. If you ever want to get any of that back, admit to your mistake and ask for forgiveness, beg for forgiveness, whether you mean it or not, that's what you're supposed to do. I imagine some people mean it, but others don't always. It's like, this is what they've been told to do to get their, their, their reputation back, you know, but it was just brutal. What we started to find out about tiger as an individual and of course, divorce and all of that. And then his 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 ego of building up his upper body to the point where he might have hurt himself in order to be 
Navy SEAL ready to walk around a golf course and hit a ball. Tiger, look at all the golfers. They come in all shapes and sizes. It doesn't matter whether you've got a flat stomach or not. You can still be a highly skilled individual uh, in the golf world. You know, look at the, the Phil Mickelson. There's a soft, pudgy guy who was just as good as Tiger was for a number of years. You know, it's just, but he had this ego and, and it to, to his own detriment. Uh, and, and somehow survives all this is my point. Somehow survives all of this to the point where, and then of course the car accident. I mean, he was, he was in a bit of a rehab, I would say socially. I'm hoping emotionally and psychologically he was getting his act together as well. And, uh, you know, it was kind of in a couple of relationships that were public, but seemed to be settling down as far as being with one person, uh, had a good relationship with his kids. As a matter of fact, his son is older now. They play golf together. Uh, all of that has the, has the car accident a couple of years ago. So there's been a lot, and somehow here we are. He's still the the draw. I find that amazing. Yes and no, I guess. Maybe I don't, but wow. If Tiger plays, the Masters is going to be terrific to watch. Great ratings, everything, because he is the marketing arm. But how? How? Because in 2009, he was gone. And his golf skills have never really returned to that, that point. Uh it's amazing to me. Here's Tom on Kitchener today. Welcome, Tom. Go ahead. Hi. How are you? Good, good. How are you? Wow. Uh, that guy is as heavy-duty racist as they come. Who is? Uh, well, about Tiger that they were saying. They, why? Leave the guy alone. I mean, he's the biggest draw on, on the golf track. So, yeah, Tom, who's racist? By the, Tom, before you go there, who's racist? Who's racist? Well, when they were talking about him, I, all the things that he did and he didn't and whatever. So that's, uh, I mean, you can say all those things, but behind it, it's heavy-duty racism. So mm. that's all I got to say. Okay. That's all you got to say? All right. Well, then, thanks, Tom. I, I See, I believe that there's a racial bias against um, people of color, whether whether people are racist or not, there's still a lot of racial bias out there, and it's worse in America. And in Augusta, Georgia, oh my gosh, this is the uh, irony of this whole thing: is this this big golf tournament is in Augusta? It's in Georgia. Like in America, if they ever decide that okay, we're going to take all the white supremacists and all the racist people, and we're going to put them all in one state, we're going to fence it off, and they can live free in there. But we're going to we just want to know where they all are. They would all pick Georgia with a spillover to northern Florida. And you know what they say about Florida? The more north you go in Florida, the more south it gets. So that would be their little panhandle there. Georgia, of all places, is where, you know, and, and not everybody in Georgia is a racist, just the racists, okay? Uh, just to be clear. So I'm not saying anything about Tiger based on his race, though, even though there's a racial bias. And I imagine Tiger had to go, even at his greatest moments when he was celebrated as this wonderful person and this wonderful golfer and this wonderful, uh, you know, people still made the joke because the, the hottest rapper at the time was Eminem. And people always made the joke. The best golfer in the world is black. The best rapper in the world is white. That's a racial joke. 
So I get it. Racial, racialized, racist. He did what he did. I don't care who he is. He did what he did. He was a philanderer. You know, he, he, he had a lot of flaws when it came to the way he treated people for whatever reason. I don't know. But so that's the point is when somebody, not because he's, he's black, white or anything, but, but he did what he did from a marketing point. You had the, you had the greatest marketer in the world and he did all of these things and the bloom was off that rose, but he just made it back. I guess is my point. That's the miracle of it to the point where here we are in 2022 looking at a 40 plus golfer who's seen his best days uh, go, that's our draw. That's our draw for TV and marketing. Wow. That that's pretty incredible. Anyway, more in your, more of your thoughts on this. When we return Kitchener today, I'm Larry Fedorik. Be right back. If you're just joining us, I'm your guest host, Larry Fedorik, and we were talking about the Masters, more about Tiger Woods. And to my amazement that he's still the draw at the Masters, that that people were watching to see if Tiger Woods was going to play in the Masters this weekend. Because it is, it, not only do I think it really is the biggest golf tournament on, on the golf tour, but it's the first big one of the season. Often in the Masters, you hope that at least one day on that Masters weekend, it'll be nice enough for you to actually go out and golf in the morning and then come home and watch the, the golf in the afternoon. Uh, maybe not this weekend necessarily, but but that's kind of the Masters. It's, it says spring is coming. We'll all be golfing soon. Here it is. It's always beautiful. It is a gorgeous spot of land there in Augusta, Georgia. And a lot of tradition and all that kind of stuff, and, um, and and good enough to watch on its own, which of course a lot of people do. But the fact that Tiger is playing still after everything he's done and happened to him, and we have a strange relationship with our celebrities, who we forgive, who we don't forgive, why we love some and not others, and I guess maybe we're we're going along with his story, um, and and hoping that you know he's we've forgiven him. He's a better person. We still like him. I, I don't know. Cause just for pure, he's not hitting 350 yards down the fairway anymore. Like that was something to watch. That's not happening anymore. So what's the appeal of saying tiger is at the masters. He's certainly anybody can wear a red shirt. I just noticed I'm wearing a red shirt today. So, so what, you know, it's like, what's the appeal? Jason is joining the show. Hey, Jason. The, the appeal to it is a lot of it has to do with the people love when somebody comes up out of nowhere and just dominates, especially when they break the mold. And they love to watch people rise to success. The only problem is when people get successful, then people love to watch the legs. The legs get cut out of them, so they like watching that. And then people also yep. love a comeback story. So he's remained very, very much a draw no matter which stage he was in because it's all stories people love to watch. Jason, thanks for the call. I think you nailed it, Jason. Frankly, I think you nailed it. I mean, you just kind of summarized it for me. That's exactly right. Uh, coming from nowhere. Now, uh, he didn't come from from extreme poverty or anything. It was a middle-class family. But really, 
coming from nowhere as a black golfer, I mean, that there wasn't a real community there for him to thrive in. He just, he was a star at the college level, the NCAA level, a professional star, debuted early. You're right. Came from kind of nowhere to dominate. Uh, and uh, America especially, and I think more and more in Canada, we're becoming this way where we made you who you are. We're going to take you down when we feel like it. Now, Tiger contributed to his own downfall. It's not like we were just done with him. Uh, but then he did. He fell all the way down, kind of the the respect ladder. And then the comeback. Yeah, Jason, that's exactly right. That's that's it. We love all three aspects of those stories, the, the three-act play, the beginning, the middle, and the end. And Tiger's kind of in that act three of his life, I believe. And uh, maybe that's the appeal of of him. I'm I mean I'm going to tune it in at least uh, at least once on the weekend, or at least pay attention to how Tiger scored. It's Kitchener today. I'm Larry Fedoric. Thank you for having me here as a guest host. Be sure and check out my podcast later that same life wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, I'm lucky enough to be back here doing this again tomorrow. We'll talk then. <laughs>